As Luke mentioned, uh, we just read two broken stories, and, and what we're going to do this morning is uh, go in depth a little bit more on those stories, and then specifically uh, ask ourselves, what was the impact that Jesus had on these two men? And then what was the natural result? What was the fruit of Jesus in their lives? Uh, verse 19, one says he entered Jericho. Verse 18:35 that Luke read said, as he drew near to Jericho, speaking of Jesus. So, so we start our story with a blind man, with a, with a blind man sitting or, or standing or, or doing something on the side of a road. And this wasn't the first time that he's been there. He's been there over and over and over again, day after day after day after year after year. People would have recognized him because they, they've been on the road multiple times too. And this blind man is just sitting there doing what he does, begging for money. This was a great place to do so. There was a lot of industry and commerce and money passing through Jericho. So to be out on the outskirts of the city was prime place for him to receive money from people. As he's sitting there in the normal stuff of his day, he senses something different. And he asks the question, what's going on? And someone responds to the blind man on the side of the road and says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. His response is pretty astounding in my mind. He, he just yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd says, shut up. This isn't about you. And he doesn't care. He, he cries out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd gets irritated, but all of a sudden, Jesus stops. And Jesus approaches this man, and he heals him. And in that moment, this man's life is transformed. He now has sight physically, but then spiritually and in all of life, he decides to, to make this decision to follow Jesus into Jericho and to begin to follow Jesus with his life. We learn a couple things about uh, what was going on in Jesus' life in this story. First, we recognize that at this point, Jesus is already famous. Jesus was already known for, for doing healings and performing miracles. That's why, that's why the blind man cries out immediately. There's this anticipation and excitement about this Jesus guy. Culturally, we need to understand that every father at this time would have told his children that one day God is gonna send a savior. One day God's gonna send a Messiah, someone, the one, to fix everything, to make it right, to restore it from broken to beautiful. And generation after generation, dad after dad after dad after dad would tell his children this, and they were longingly waiting and in anticipation of the one to come, of the one who would be a, a blessing to Israel. And people are starting to talk. People are starting to wonder, could it be Jesus? Could he be the one that they're hearing all of these things about him, and then he's on the road, and this blind man cries out. He can't see. They know that. They've passed by him multiple times. And then in a few moments, this blind man can see. And this Jesus, who people are wondering about and questioning and just hoping that he might be the one, all of a sudden the hope is, is justified to an extent. The anticipation is building and it's in that context, with that sense of excitement, that we jump into the story about Jesus and Zacchaeus. 19.1 says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, speaking of Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So, so this gives us a little bit of background information on Zacchaeus. What's his story? 
Well, he's rich. Why? Because he's a tax collector. How does the, the tax collecting system work at this point in time? Well, well the Roman Empire would uh, sign a contract, would, would designate someone, the tax collector, to collect money for them. They'd specify a specific amount of money that that person was responsible to obtain and then to give to them. And here's where the deal gets kind of sweet. The tax collector can then decide whatever salary he wants. All he has to do is claim that the Roman Empire wanted more and keep the, the difference for himself. Setting your own salary is not a bad gig. The only issue is the more he wanted, the more it required him to take from someone else. So, so the richer and wealthier that this man Zacchaeus becomes, there's a direct correlation and the more he's hated and despised. Though he was wealthy, it's a good chance he's broken. There's a good chance he's hurting and alone. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And for some reason, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He's, he's heard about the hype, the excitement, the anticipation. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Uh, Luke, the author of the Gospel, Luke, who's writing this story, is known for, for really giving a lot of detail and trying to be historically accurate to present an accurate portrayal of the life of Jesus. I love the fact that it includes that there's this little rich short guy. I'm not sure why it's relevant to the story, but we read that, that he wants to go see Jesus, so he runs up and he's looking at the crowd and he's like, can't see him, so he's gonna sprint ahead. He, he finds this sycamore tree and he does what all short little rich guys do. He climbs up into a tree. He says, I'll just watch from here. He's sitting, he's waiting in his balcony position and Jesus starts to come up. And Jesus is approaching, and the, the crowd is with him, and so is the anticipation. And then there's this crazy moment where it's like the whole world takes a deep breath and just stops. And Jesus stops everything, and that means everyone else stops everything because they're there for Jesus. And he looks up into this tree, and he sees Zacchaeus. And he cries out, Zacchaeus! And in a millisecond, I think a whole lot of things happen. Uh, this is my personal speculation, but if I'm Zacchaeus at this moment, I'm panicking. I came to watch Jesus, not be called out by him, because Zacchaeus is probably smart enough to know that this religious leader, this, this great teacher and healer who, who knew the scriptures and, and possibly, just possibly as the Messiah, probably wasn't going to think too highly of the fact that he made his living by cheating people, by stealing from them. And now all of a sudden, his balcony seat in this tree is no longer a seat. He's no longer observing. He's the one that is being observed. He's now on a stage, and Jesus just called him out. He said, Zacchaeus. And now everyone else, the crowd there, they probably know Zacchaeus, at least some of them. They're probably getting excited, like, yes! Finally, the Zacchaeus guy's gonna get what's coming. Jesus just healed this blind man. I can't wait to see what he'll do to Zacchaeus. And what does Jesus say next? He says this, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, now we read this and culturally can just glance over it, but this is a really big sentence. Jesus is making a massive statement when he says, come down, I must stay at your house today. Culturally, to eat with someone, to have a meal, or to uh, even more so stay with them, what was a social communication that you accepted that person, 
that you were with them, that you were for them, maybe even possibly that you loved them. All of a sudden, everyone in the crowd is like, what, what is Jesus doing? This is not part of the plan. This isn't how you save the world. Forget Zacchaeus, he's stealing from people. Zacchaeus is stoked. It says he jumps down from the tree and gladly accepts Jesus. And I think everyone else starts to ask why. There's all this anticipation, all this excitement. What is Jesus doing? He just accepted a sinner. And not sinner like all all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a, a specific stabbing statement saying he was wicked and despised. Why would Jesus do this? Because Jesus came down from heaven as the God of the universe with a really specific purpose, very intentionally, to do a job. He was on a mission to seek and to save the lost, to restore the broken to the beautiful. I mentioned it earlier, but in Genesis 1 and 2, we we have this picture painted for us of how the loving, good God of the universe created the world that we live in. And not only did he provide for us with with food and water, but he gave us relationships, uh, husband and wife and and children and and friendships. Uh, He had a a perfect plan. And even beyond that, he gave purpose and meaning, the opportunity to, to thrive and prosper. All we had to do was stay on the path that he gave us. And then Satan comes slithering onto the scene and he does what he does best. He starts whispering lies. He gets Adam and Eve to question who God is, to question God's character. He said, did God really say? Are you sure this God guy is who you think he is? Is he really good? And before you know it, Adam and Eve are looking at this path ahead of them that that God has designed specifically for them. They're like, maybe not. Maybe I'll go this way instead. And they reject the path that God gave them and they go on their own path, which is, which is really the definition of sin. It's missing the mark. It's going away from what God's perfect intention was to something else. And from that moment forward, we as humanity have felt the, have felt the brokenness in this world. Pull out your phone and look at the news or turn on the TV, read a newspaper, do whatever you do, just take a walk. And it won't take very long for you to see that we live in a broken world. The the way that we treat one another as humans, the violence, the hate, the racism, the death and destruction, the disease, it's all over the place. We live in a broken world. We are feeling the effects of walking away from God's path. So Jesus left his, his place in heaven and chose to sacrifice himself on a cross to make up for our decision to reject God's path and to put us back on the path that we belong on. And we learn that that Jesus came to love and die for all of humanity. But we also learn something else in this passage. When when Jesus is on on this road and he looks up and he he, he sees Zacchaeus, we recognize that he, he doesn't just care for all of humanity. He also cares for the individual. He, he doesn't just care for the flock as a whole. He also cares for, for just one sheep. See, this isn't an airplane view God that flies at 30,000 feet and looks down and sees just cities of people or just dots and blurs. This is a God that looks down and knows your personal individual story. The Bible tells us that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you better than you know you. Think about that for a second. That's kind of crazy. 
and he loves you more than you love you. That blows my mind. He came down for you. He came down with a specific mission. That's why Jesus calls out Zacchaeus. I've come and I need to stay at your home today. And when, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. He accepts him. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. Okay, so at this moment, Zacchaeus is about to make a proclamation. But as we read this story, we need to understand that this didn't just happen at the snap of a finger. What, what most likely happened, and we don't know this for sure, is that Zacchaeus came down from the tree and took Jesus to be with him at his home. And they probably had a dinner party and invited other guests. And at this point, who knows how long it's been, most likely hours that they've spent together. And Jesus has listened to Zacchaeus and heard his story and taught him and been there for him. Later on, uh, what we'll read in the story that salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus that day. So somewhere uh, along the along the time from that road to, to being in Zacchaeus' house, something changed. Something happened. There was a transformation in Zacchaeus' life because of Jesus. He accepted that he was accepted by God. He recognized that this wasn't about him, that he had the privilege of being a character in God's story and that he didn't need to be the main character in his own story and that it was better that way. The Bible tells us here that Zacchaeus got it. And then something pretty incredible happens when Zacchaeus is about to make this next proclamation because we, we see in this story the firsthand result, the fruit of someone experiencing the love and, and restoring power of Jesus in their own lives. Look at, look at Zacchaeus' response to that. He looks to Jesus and says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Understand that, that there were scriptures, kind of like our Bible, but it's more like half of it for them, that, that uh, people culturally read at this point in time. And in those scriptures, uh, for us, it's the Old Testament, there were specific laws saying if you cheated someone, what you were required to give back, this idea of restitution. And Zacchaeus gives not only half of, of his possessions to the poor, but then four times anything he defrauded back to those he had, he had stole from. That is way above and beyond what was required. So it, it begs the question, why? Why did Zacchaeus do this? Why would he give so much? What was it about justification? Was it about equality? Was it about making right his wrong? Or maybe being spiritual or, or doing a good deed? I don't think so. I think he probably would have just given the amount he needed to give. But instead, we see a heart change. We see a total transformation. We see a response to the love of Jesus. And that response is that Zacchaeus began to see people for people. Before, they were just a means to his income. All of a sudden, he recognizes that that is someone that God created with a story. And Jesus came down from heaven to restore my broken story to something beautiful. And now I have been called to do the same. Jesus' response to Zacchaeus is this, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save 
the lost. There's this family analogy there that Zacchaeus has now been accepted into the family of God. That, that means that he's provided for, that he has salvation, that, that he is right with God again because of what Jesus has done. But it also means that he's commissioned to join God in his mission, which is to seek and save the lost, to take the broken and to do our part, whatever we can, to restore it to beautiful like God's original intention was. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost we see in this story a first-hand account of what happens in a person's life when they experience the love of Jesus. And I think sometimes if, if you're a person in this room who, who has been in church a long time or you've been a Christian a long time or you've done a lot of Bible studies or, or a prayer or spiritual things, we have a tendency to think, you know what, I've kind of moved past this. But we don't move past the gospel we don't ever move past our broken story and, and recognizing that God restored it to something beautiful and that day after day, we have the privilege and calling and commissioning to join God in that mission. That's what Zacchaeus does here. I want now to take a minute to, to break down this idea of seeking and saving the lost and what is our role as followers of Jesus in that. Let's talk about seeking first. It's just about opening your eyes. It's just about walking around with a different perspective and lens and recognizing people for people. Notice uh, a few times uh, in scripture, Jesus sets this example. What did he do with Zacchaeus? When he had him on that tree and all these people that hated him are looking at him, did he condemn him? No. Did he yell out, Zacchaeus, what in the world is wrong with you? Figure it out, get a hold of it, stop doing that. No. He said, I accept you. I'm here for you. I'm gonna stay with you. With the blind man, when this crowd is around and Jesus has this opportunity to, to be a healer and to, to set himself up as the Messiah and have this, this big important moment, does he walk up and say, let me help you. Be healed. No. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He asks a question and then he listens. Well, with the woman who was, who was caught in adultery, Jesus didn't condemn her, though others were. He said, I'm here for you. I'm for you. I'm listening. He comforted her. Love doesn't start with fixing. Love typically starts with listening. And that's what we're called to do. Love doesn't start with fixing. Love typically starts with listening. So as we embrace this commissioning, joining God in his mission of, of restoring the broken to the beautiful and seeking and saving the lost, the first thing we have to do is just open our eyes and look around and see people's broken stories. And God's probably not calling you to fix them right away, but just to listen, to start loving in that way. It always astonishes me when I'm, I'm flying in an airplane and I don't know what else, I guess you could fly in a helicopter, but anyway, <laughs> when I'm flying in something in the air and I look down and I see a city, especially at night, and you just see cars and cars and homes and, and massive neighborhoods and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, and that can be beautiful, but then to, to, to zoom in mentally a little bit more and think, there's hundreds of thousands of people with stories with a, with a foundation of a broken story just like I have. 
When I'm on the freeway and all of a sudden the cars next to me become people, people that God was willing to die for because he loved them with stories rather than just some idiot that cut me off. At the grocery store, the person checking me out is a, is a real person with a real story that God loves. The, the same thing is true of the person that's bagging the groceries at the bank, shopping wherever you're at. You are surrounded by people with broken stories who are loved by Jesus, so much so that, that he was willing to die on a cross for them. We are commissioned to seek, to observe broken stories around us, and then to, to join God in, in his process of bringing salvation to these people. Zacchaeus experiences that, and, and Zacchaeus can't give that to anyone else. He can't provide salvation for himself or for anyone else, just like I can't provide my, myself with salvation or provide anyone else with it. We, we can't do that. But we can join God and, and assist him as he, he gives us that privilege and opportunity in doing so. We can reflect the love of Christ to the people around us. And I think it starts with doing what you can with what you have. Doing what you can with what you have. See, uh, the Bible tells us that, that God has created us all uniquely in the image of God. There's, there's parts of God in us. He has made us brilliantly and wonderfully. He has handcrafted us as the, the image of God, as, as his creation. And he's created you uniquely with, with gifts and abilities and, and resources, with time and with yourself. We're supposed to take those and use them for others, for believers and non-believers, do what you can with what you have. It was about a week ago, uh, my mom watches my daughter Aaliyah on Tuesdays uh, while my wife is working and I'm working and she buys her like 14 toys every time she watches her. I need another toy chest for Aaliyah. Um, and this particular day, she buys her a airplane. I'd say it's a paper airplane, but it's not. It's like kind of wood and kind of cardboard. I'm not sure what it is. And it's in this little plastic case from the dollar store and I, I get home and Aaliyah's telling me that she got this airplane and she's excited to fly it but you have to build it which makes me nervous because I'm really bad at building things I'm like have pop do it he's better that's her grandpa so we get home there's thankfully only three parts so my brain can handle it I put it together and I throw it and the plane flies really good I was kind of impressed and, and Aaliyah runs and grabs it and she throws it and then she brings it back to me and then I throw it she runs and grabs it she always runs and grabs it I don't run and grab it one of these times, she's throwing it, and it kind of hits this wall, and, and part of the wing snaps. And it's broken, and she looks at me, and she goes, Daddy, fix it? I'm like, dang it, baby, you asked that when we're at Grandpa's house, because he's good at fixing things. I don't know what to do. So I go, and I find the junk drawer, because we all have a junk drawer, and there's some glue in it. And I grab these, these two broken parts of this plane, and I put some glue on, and then I hold the plane together where it's broken, and I still have to entertain her while I'm doing this, so now I'm like playing tag or hiding go seek. I don't even remember running around the house with this plane, making sure that it's gluing. And finally, it's connected enough that I can set it down, and it finishes gluing. By this time, it's been like 947 times of, Daddy, is the plane good? Not yet, baby. But an hour or two after, I grab the plane, and I hand it to her, and she throws it. And it flies. It started out good, and then it kind of veered to the right a little bit. And then I threw it again, and it started out pretty good, and then it veered to the right a little bit. And if you grab it and you look at it, you can see 
smudges of glue all over the place. And the wing's kind of crooked. It's not even. And even after it uh, flies to the right, it has a tendency to nosedive now. And it's probably going to break again at some point. But here's the thing. I did what I could with what I had. I couldn't fix it perfectly. I couldn't restore it to what its original intent was and, and so that it was perfectly functional and looked the way it was supposed to be. But it flew again. My daughter was able to play with it again. And I think that's kind of our, our, our mission, our, our part in joining God in his mission of seeking and saving the lost, of restoring the broken to the beautiful. Do what you can with what you have. Think about it for a second. How has God designed you, you specifically? What are you good at? Because after listening to people, you should probably ask yourself, what has God made me good at? What has he given me? How do I help, not fix? How do I help? How do I do what I can with what I have? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We all share in common a broken story, every one of us. It's a uniting factor. I, I want you to think about yours for a second. If, if you're someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, to, to be a disciple of Christ, a Christian, then I'm guessing that's the case because there was someone who had their own broken story, who, who experienced the loving power of, of restoration through Jesus, who, who then joined God in his mission to restore the broken to the beautiful, to, to seek and save the lost, and impacted your life in some way. I'm guessing it wasn't some aha moment, all of a sudden I just get it and yay Jesus. Guessing it had to do with people with their own stories who embraced God's mission. That's how it worked for me. It was mom constantly pointing the arrow of my, my family's life towards God because that's what mattered most. That was the true story of the world. It was dad as I, I grew up as a teenager who would drive an hour and a half to basketball practice three times a week. That's crazy. He gave up so much time. And more than the time, it was him listening to my stupid stories or answering my questions and not putting on this facade that he had it all together, even though he was successful, but instead saying, you know what, Landon? I have my own broken story, and that's okay. Because the, the, the premise, the foundation of the gospel isn't that I don't have a broken story or never did. I don't just pretend to have it all together now. I can accept that I'm accepted because of Jesus. It was Nana who would write a letter and say, I'm praying for you. It was my third grade teacher, Mrs. Grimm, who for some weird reason said, Landon, I see something special in you and encouraged me. I still don't know what she was seeing. And then fourth grade, she decided, hey, I'll be his teacher in fourth grade too. She got sick of me after that year and went to fifth, skipped fifth grade, but then decided to, to Annie in for sixth grade as well. And this woman had a, a massive impact in my life. She was a great blessing. You, you saw the picture of my wife, Chelsea. We started dating in high school. And sincerely, Chelsea has been someone who has painted the picture of the love of Jesus in my life and, and in a way that I, I grasp it in ways that really no one else has. She reflected the love of Jesus through forgiveness and, and love and support while God was in the midst of bringing me out of this, this journey and fight against pornography. And I sat there and I just, I couldn't grasp how could she love me? How could she love me? Why would she love me? But she did and she was there for me. She was reflecting the love of this Jesus who was restoring the broken to the beautiful. She was doing her part. 
It was my friend Bob, who's 30-something years older than me, and when I was going through a massive struggle with anxiety to the, to the point where I could barely function, though he had his own wife and family, and there's a big age difference, he'd take my calls at 3 in the morning. Not only that, he'd intentionally keep his phone next to him knowing Landon might call. He did what he could with what he had. What's your broken story? Maybe, maybe you're sitting in this room and you're still stuck in that brokenness. Maybe that's all you know. Maybe it seems like there is no hope that you aren't loved and that you're not accepted, definitely not by God. And to that, I want to say, first of all, you are loved and deeply loved. And second, there's a guy named Satan who absolutely, wholeheartedly despises you. And it blows my mind that this book that we call The Word of God, right, the true story of the whole world, describes Satan as brilliant, as wise, as crafty, as cunning. I think sometimes we take, take how brilliant he is for granted. We don't take it into account. But he wants to do every single thing he can to keep you from recognizing how much you as an individual with your own broken story are loved by this God who's willing to die on a cross for you. And that he's in this journey of redeeming the broken and restoring them to beautiful. Don't believe his lies. And know this too, that, that God has provided people that love you, people that want to listen, people that want to be there for you. I've had the, the opportunity and privilege, like Luke was saying, to, to sit in meetings and at Luke's house and with other staff members and volunteers and hear their heart for you. They are for you. They pray for you. They ask God to, to lead them to lead and serve and be there for you. You are loved. If you're someone here, though, that claims to be a Christ follower, that claims to be a Christian, then I encourage you to, to take to heart what happened to Zacchaeus. The response of a disciple of Jesus once you personally have experienced the, the loving power of restoration through Christ is to seek and save the lost, is to join God in his mission of restoring broken to beautiful by first and foremost observing and opening your eyes to broken stories then by doing what you can with what you have in all of life, as dad, as husband, as grandpa, as uncle, as nephew, as mom, daughter, grandma, aunt, niece, as employee, employer, student, teacher, coach, athlete, as architect, lawyer, Whatever it is that you do, wherever you're at, embrace following Jesus in all of life because we never lose this opportunity to join God in his mission of redemption, of restoration, of restoring the broken to the beautiful. What's God calling you to do in, in the context of everyday life? Not some spectacular spiritual moment, but every day. Where is there brokenness around you? Where are you seeing it? What are you good at? How can you impact it? We're all called to embrace that mission. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Sometimes that's hard to grasp, that's hard to understand. Lord, your word says that we can only understand you when you reveal yourself to us, God. I pray for 
both those who have accepted you and, and come, to know you all, come to know you already, Lord, that you would reveal yourself more to us, though we don't deserve it. And for those who don't know you yet, God, that you would reveal your love to us, to them. God, I ask that you would open all of our eyes to, to better understand the world around us and to begin to see people as people with their own stories loved by you. God, I pray that you would encourage us not to, not to believe Satan lies, that we're gonna do more harm than good, that it's just gonna be awkward or painful or not worth it. God, you've called us to join you in, in your mission. Encourage us to do that. Prepare us to help us to, to link arms with one another and to, to surge out into our community to reflect your love to the world around us because you are the only answer for this world. You are the only way that broken stories are made into what you designed them to be beautiful. We love you, God. May your spirit lead us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.